Practical Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better, because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley. Hi, everybody, and thank you for joining us for the Practical Prepping Podcast. Tonight, we're going to talk about your safe place. We're not necessarily talking about that happy spot that you go to in your mind when you want to escape the life's reality. We're talking about a physical safe place for you and your loved ones to go to in the event of a very threatening storm. Basically, tornado season lasts all year round, but in this Alabama region, we see a lot more activity between the months of November through May. They used to say that we had a secondary season, and it ran November, December, and then it picked up again in March, April, May. But looking back at the history of the storms in this state, We've had just as many, if not more, in January and February. Exactly. You know, we were traveling and we came back home on New Year's Day, January 1st, 2022. And as we were exiting our car to unpack, unload, and bring things into our home, we heard the tornado sirens beginning to blare. And we were aware that some active, severe weather was on the horizon, so to speak, but to to stand out in your driveway and actually hear those tornado sirens, that is an ominous and sombering sound. Now, some of the information that we're going to share here, we have shared in some previous podcasts, but because of the timeliness of this and because of the importance of this, we wanted to share an entire episode on your safe room, your safe place, and the types of shelters that you can build, and some of the things that new information that we have come into, and we want to share that with you. This is part of your emergency plan. For those of you that are prepping, whether you're new at it or whether you've been prepping for many, many years, you need to always edit your emergency storm plan, make changes as needed, have some sort of a plan of action to be safe and to be weather aware. And you need a safe place in your dwelling. And you also need to think about a safe place in other areas like your work or your organization's buildings and things like that. But mainly I think we're going to concentrate on your home. Yeah, and you need to know the difference between watches and warnings. What is the difference? The difference of watch means that unless we're talking about tornadoes here and it also applies with winter storms with avalanche or anything else is that a watch means that the conditions are right for this event to occur but it does not mean that it is occurring or has occurred or even will occur it just means that all conditions are right it's like the ingredients for a storm are all being pulled together and we don't know what's going to happen right we're watching Right. Now, a warning means that an event is taking place. In the case of a tornado, it could be one that's been reported having been spotted by a weather spotter or by the general public or by law enforcement, or more often it will be rotation that's indicated on the radar by the National Weather Service. Which is why it's very important also to have your weather radio. Yes. Now, understand that your television 
broadcast meteorologists, they do a fantastic job when they go wall to wall with coverage. And for those in other countries, what it means is that when we have a thunderstorm warning or we have a tornado warning, they come on to the television, they interrupt the regular programming, and they give you up-to-the-moment weather information, and they stay on the air as long as that warning is in their coverage area. Once those storms go out of their coverage area, they'll go back to regular programming. When they go to wall-to-wall, and they're showing you a tornado or something that may become a tornado. Now, they may use the words tornado emergency, but it is only the National Weather Service that actually issues a tornado warning. It's not your television meteorologist. It's the National Weather Service here in the United States. And there's many of those all over the country. And we also want to stress that you need to have multiple ways of receiving any kind of storm warning. There are apps on your phone that are with your local television station. There are national apps like the Weather Channel or Weather Underground or Radar and Radar Scope and some of those. And a weather radio, of course, is very important. And I would say there's no compromise. You you must have a weather radio, an NOAA weather radio to be able to receive very timely and very important information about storm warnings because giving you time to be able to act is so important because as we know a tornado is not like a hurricane a tornado may give you a moment or a few seconds or as much as one minute but that's not a lot of warning time and sometimes you can get 30 or 40 if you're in watches if you're going through a lot of watches that gives you and you're going through a lot of tornadoes uh, in line like we had 50 something tornadoes this past saturday i Mm -hmm. think it was in the state yes and you can get some advance notice on that that this storm line is being warned And you might get 15 or 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. That's an important amount of time. One of the things about the NOAA weather radio is it will wake you up. Yes, it's loud. Where my telephone will not wake me up when an alert comes in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, it'll wake me up ringing, but it will not wake me up if it's just an alert coming in because it comes in as a text message. Right. But what it does do is the NOAA weather radio gives me a notice to get up and get either on the television or get on my weather radar, find out what is going on. And you need multiple ways to be able to receive those warnings. And do not depend on the outdoor sirens. That's true. You know, although we were able to easily hear it, an outdoor siren is almost only useful if you are indeed outdoors and somewhat close to the siren. Right. Now, it it was loud for us, but Mm -hmm. it's about a half a mile straight line from us, and we were out in the driveway. But there would be people that live in the same county that would be on the other side of the mountain that would not hear that same siren. Exactly. So do not depend on the outdoor sirens. In fact, in many counties, those are being replaced. They're going away. It's old technology, Mm -hmm. and they're becoming very expensive to maintain, and they're going away in some counties. Now, once there is a warning that is issued, 
and your weatherman comes on the radio or weather lady, uh, weather person, weather person, <laughs> your meteorologist, your uh-huh. broadcast meteorologist comes on to the television and they put up the map. They will have, at least in the United States, what's called a polygon. Yes. And it is a widening cone shaped. Uh, geometric shape. Geometric shape. Yeah, yeah, they put it on the map. And it's a polygon. And it shows you that that storm could go anywhere inside that polygon. Now, in Birmingham, Alabama, there is a broadcast meteorologist by the name of James Spann. He's a rock star. He is a rock star. We love James Spann. And one thing, you can take a glance at him and see how he's dressed. If he's wearing his jacket, everything's fine. You could ignore the weather. If he has his jacket off and he's wearing his suspenders, then you need to pay a little bit more attention. Now, right. if his if he's got his jacket off, his suspenders are on, and he rolls up his sleeves, then you need to take cover and take cover now. It's yes. serious if he has those sleeves rolled up. But one of the things that he says is respect the polygon. If you're in it, go to your safe place. Don't take a chance, but his words are respect the polygon because it could go anywhere inside that polygon. And do you know that wall-to-wall coverage that those meteorologists offer and provide so ably has indeed saved lives. Oh, absolutely. Now, I know there's a few folks out there that get very upset that their regular program has been interrupted, but storm information is vital. It is a life-saving prospect, and I respect the meteorologists and the local stations that think enough of the community and know the community well enough, sometimes they're even able to tell you what county road it's going down or or what uh, bend it's taking because they're so familiar with the area. And it, I promise you, it has saved lives for that wall-to-wall. So I hope that we can impart to you how much we respect that type of coverage. And we know that it's very courageous for them. Sometimes they've even broadcast storms going over their own home, and they're at their job at, or their homes of their loved ones. And so it's it's serious, people. And that happened a while back with mentioning James Spann again. He was watching on the radar as it went across his house. Yes. And he did lose some trees, but his family was in their safe space. And they were protected, and I don't think he had any damage to the house, but he had several trees down. Now, we're talking about your safe place, but we want to maximize this next statement. What is not a safe place? A mobile home. Mobile home or a camper, any type of dwelling that is not foundational to, you know, what I'd call a normal build, a frame house, a brick home, that type of thing. If it's a camper or a mobile home, if you can attach it to a vehicle and drive it away, then that is not a tornado safe place. No, if you live in a mobile home or a camper or an RV, you must not stay in that mobile home, camper, or RV during a tornado warning. Get out. Go to a shelter. If you can't locate a shelter, you should already know where your nearest one is, a public shelter. And if you cannot do that, go to some type of 24-7 business. And I've actually seen people that were in a what we call a quick mart, a convenience store. And with the tornado coming, they all got into the cooler. 
Yes, because it's the most secure it's, and most uh, well-protected structure exactly. in the and building. The one that I'm thinking, the the building was totally damaged. I mean, it it had to be torn down, but there was no injury with the group of folks that there that were there because they were inside that cooler. Very smart, and they were safe. Now, let's talk about some of the types of safe rooms and shelters. Well, there's the underground type. It's just like what you think. It's a root cellar or a outside access type of a structure that has been created under the ground level. And those can be very expensive to build. They can, but it's the only real safe place for an F5 tornado. Absolutely. Yes. There are some above ground that are built, but but for home use, they're, they're really the only safe place for an F5. But they are expensive, and you may not be able to have one of those. We don't have one of those. No. I'd love to, mm-hmm. but we don't. They are expensive. You might be living in a rental house and yeah. not able to dig up the yard and put in a storm shelter that's underground. But that is one type that is available, and they are wonderful. Now, basement, if your house has a basement, that's probably the place that you need to be. And when you go into the basement, go into the area that is most under the ground. And most away from any windows. Exactly. You want to get away from any flying glass. My mother had a room off of her basement, and I say it was concrete on six sides because you had concrete above, concrete below, and concrete on all four walls. Mm -hmm. Very, very safe place to be in her house during a tornado. And I was in someone else's house a number of years ago in central Alabama, And in their basement, they had built a concrete room inside their basement. Mm -hmm. They had like a little four by six. It was built back against the wall that was actually under the ground. So the back of it was against the the dirt uh, or against the concrete block wall that had dirt on the other side of it. And the man had built a concrete block room and he had poured concrete and reinforced it with steel rods down between the various holes in in that and then he put a concrete top on it Mm -hmm. so that was a safe room inside his basement i see you do run the risk of having the entire house lifted off and you're being exposed you do have the possible potential of damage causing one of the floor joists to fall And so this man just built himself a shelter inside their basement, and it was for him and his wife, and and it served them well. Hmm. Underground or basement, and then you've got the above-ground steel or reinforced concrete shelter. You know, we've seen this type of thing at the big box stores. They come in a variety of shapes and sizes depending on how many people you're trying to provide protection for. Some of them look like a cylinder, Uh, a rounded cylinder with a round slide across door Mm -hmm. and you you literally can stand or very tightly sit inside this round cylinder that's you know maybe eight feet tall and maybe six feet wide others are rectangular and they vary in their size and their shape and their volume but you can purchase them commercially and have them put 
on your property, maybe on a concrete slab, maybe in a carport or a garage or what have you, whatever the manufacturer thinks would be a, a good and proper construction for something like that. But those have been tested with all sorts of testing. And they're sure, rated. You know, they're, exactly. They're rated, and some are more sturdy than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, any of them are better than none of them. But it must be anchored securely you can't just stand it up out in the backyard, get in it. and. You know. No, of course not, because if a tornado can lift a semi-trailer that's not anchored, it can certainly lift your storm shelter if it's not anchored. So you definitely have to have some anchoring of some sort. Okay, we've talked about underground shelters. We've talked about basement shelters. We've talked about above-ground steel or reinforced concrete shelters, and we have none of those. That's exactly right. So what do we have? We have a small room on the lowest level in the center of the house away from windows. That is exactly what we have. Now, to be honest, we've got a hall closet. And we've gotten into it during we've, a storm, too. We've gotten too. into it. Now, mm-hmm. with, with the two of us, and, you know, she's the short one. She's only six foot. And you put the two of us and two cats in there, it's crowded. Mm-hmm. But it, it serves its purpose. And if you don't have a basement to get to, uh, get to a small room on the lowest level of the house, in the center of the house, and away from the windows. There have been people that have lived through major tornadoes because they were in the closet. Exactly. Let's take just a short break and talk about Jim Curtis Knives And then we'll come back and talk about equipping our safe rooms. Mark is a bit of a knife nut. He loves a good knife. And that's the very reason that I purchased for him a handcrafted Jim Curtis knife. Because a custom knife seems to have its own personality. It's unlike any of those generic knives you get at a big box store. Mark has a Jim Curtis knife that just screams, look at me, handle me, use me. It is made of Alabama Damascus steel, which holds a razor sharp edge, and it is adorned with a beautiful red, white, and blue micarta handle. I had it built for him special for a Christmas gift last year, and he proudly carries it as an off-duty EDC knife. You can have your Jim Curtis knife built to your design specifications, or you can select one that he's already designed and built, ready to be purchased. Whichever you choose, it will come with a lifetime guarantee, lifetime sharpening, and two band-aids. Yes, it's just that sharp. Check out Jim Curtis Knives on Facebook at facebook.com slash Knives, or drop him an email at j. Curtis7mm at yahoo.com. Both of these links are in our show notes, and we'll also put them on the Practical Prepping website. Okay, let's talk about some of the things that we need to put into our safe room, equipping those safe rooms. Well, that's obviously going to depend on the shelter type that you have. You know, we've we've just briefly talked about the underground type, the basement type, the above ground steel or reinforced concrete type. Or like us, we don't have any of those things, but we just have a small room. What would you do to equip your safe room? We have mentioned that ours happens to be a centrally located hall closet. So there's not really a lot that we can put in there. I'll tell you what we did one night when we actually did believe that the tornado funnel cloud might be coming across our region. This whole closet happens to hold all of our winter coats. 
And so we had enough time to reach in, grab out the coats, and we slung those across the bed in the bedroom so that we would have more room to stand up in there. But we don't have anything equipped in there to, you know, for the long haul. There's no room there, in there. There for really us. isn't. And we didn't expect to be in there very long. And I think we were in there maybe 20, 30 minutes at the most. And the, Fortunately, we did not receive any storm damage or funnel clouds in our neighborhood, but we were preparing for that. We were taking every precaution. And from that room, we can hear the television, the broadcast. We can hear the weather information. We can also hear the weather radio from that closet. We had our cell phones with us. And we're going to tell you some things that you need to add to And I'm going to put a little bag in there with a few things that we need to have inside that closet at all times. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're in a basement, you can stock supplies. And in Mother's basement, the concrete with six sides, it was a 12 by 24 room. So you could stock that thing with a lot. That would be an ample stock I mean, it it had chairs in it. It had storage in it it had water in it it had some food in it it also had my dark room in it yeah so. it actually could hold tables and heaters and a and it large did, variety of things it did have a heater in there mm-hmm. so it just depends on the space that you have what you are able to put in there but one of the things that you need to have with you is your cell phone Now, realizing that if you're in an active storm event, let's say that the worst case scenario is a a tornado is going across and you're being protected and your house is holding, or even if it's not, that you're hiding in your safe place. You got to know that if a lot of destruction is taking place, it's quite likely and almost guaranteed there's going to be cell tower damage. You know, these things fall down. They get torn to bits. So it doesn't mean you're not going to have cell coverage. It just may take a little bit longer for an actual phone call to go through. And they get overloaded. Oh, of course they do, because obviously, you know, a thousand people are trying to make a Mm -hmm. phone call right now. You know, and and the system is just, there is a limit. So what have you found that works? Now, one of the things that we found that works, and I'll just use this example. Our daughters, two of our daughters were... In the April 27th of 2011 tornado that killed 253 people across Alabama, now they were not injured. Uh, There was a slight amount of damage on one of their houses, but we were unable, and I was sitting in a shelter working ham radio, and I was watching the track of the tornado, knowing it was large, knowing what it had done to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and I see it go across where both of them lived. Mm -hmm. They lived a couple of miles apart, and this thing went right across both of their houses. Thankfully, it was airborne when it went across, but we were unable for the longest. It was hours before we were able to get a telephone call through. But text messages, now we were able to get a message from them in about 20 minutes. And text messages, two things, it takes less bandwidth for a text message to go through. Good to know. And once you hit send, you don't have to keep sending. 
it will find a point where it makes connection with a cell connection mm-hmm. and it will then send or receive the message. So, Unlike a call when you're trying to make an right. audible call, you have to keep trying. Exactly. So the text messaging is a good way to go with that. I will also put in a plug for ham radio right here. A ham radio, a handheld ham radio is a very good thing to have. Mm-hmm. It doesn't rely on cell towers nope. or, or telephone lines or anything like that. Now, one thing to be aware, if you do need a license and you do need to have your radio pre-programmed for the repeaters in your area. Now, some folks say, you know, in a life or death emergency, you don't need a license. Well, that is true. That is true. If someone's life is on the line, However, having that license allows you to be able to practice with that ham radio, lets you learn what you're doing, and if you're just trying to let your family know that you're okay, that's not a life or death situation. Exactly. A life or death situation is is literally if you are in the presence of someone who's bleeding out, if there's a medical emergency, if it literally is life hanging in the balance, if word doesn't get out, a life or death situation is very easy to define. But if if you're just trying to let somebody know you're fine, it's like you said. You need that license. That's not going to be acceptable across ham radio. But And I want to plug ham radio as well, too, because you have not only used it during a storm, but afterward when ham radio is the only way to communicate ham radio can get messages across town across the county across the state across the nation there are times when uh, mark was working disaster relief in an immediate aftermath of a storm event that was very devastating tornado or hurricane or what have you and there were people that lived literally 500 to 1,000 or more miles away. And they're very, very concerned about their Aunt Bessie or their, you know, Uncle Joe. And ham radio operators get positioned all over the place. And they can get messages to the Red Cross. You're not going to yeah. get 500 miles with a handheld. Not a handheld, but you can get a message okay. to somebody you else. You can get somebody outside the impact area with that handheld. And they can either make a phone call. Right. Or they can get on HF if they've got a general license or above, Mm -hmm. and they can make contact with someone in that area. So those messages, those health and welfare messages do get relayed back and forth, and they are very, very important. But I'll just put that plug in for ham radio right there, because a lot of times cell phones will not work. Now, if you're going to have a handheld radio and you're licensed in your storm shelter, test your ham radio from your safe room. You may find that you need to upgrade the antenna. Right. We don't want you to be able to do a ham radio and then not be able to transmit. Exactly. You're, you're, and you're in a, basically you've built a Faraday cage. And from inside, <laughs> you know, you may have that situation. Mm-hmm. And I know of one man, and he's involved with the weather service and ham radio, and he has put a uh, in the top of his storm shelter, he's put a six-inch piece of PVC coming through the roof, and from underside of it, it has a cap on it, and from the underside of it, he can use a long stick and punch the top of it off. Hmm. And he runs an antenna up through that. That's just smart right there. So, uh, great idea on his part, mm-hmm. but 
his is underground and your walkie-talkie is not going to work that well from underground. That's a good point. So have some way to to test it before you actually need it. Okay, let's move on. Next thing we probably want to have in there or be able to hear from our safe space is a weather radio. We need to be able to keep up with what's going on. Another good thing is to have an AM, FM radio or television in there or nearby so that you're able to hear that information. And again, we can't put a television in our hall closet, but we are able to hear it from the next room. You just want to be able to get that information. So have that weather radio, have that AM, FM radio or television available. Also, you need some flashlights. It's going to be dark, and you may be dealing with a power outage, I can just about guarantee, if you're in a traumatic storm situation like that. Even a severe thunderstorm can knock the power out. We've recently had a snow event here in Madison County, and some of our county was without power for several hours overnight from Sunday night into Monday. It went about 15 hours on some of them. So So flashlights and extra batteries, that's just good prepper talk right there. But if you're involved, if you're in the impact area and your house is hit, you will lose power. I just almost guarantee you that. So have those flashlights. Now, here's something that we have recently come to know, and that is the importance of having some type of helmet for any and every person. You know, and it makes complete sense. I don't know why we didn't think about that before, but something like a bike helmet or a, a hard hat, you know, just like a, it's something to, you know, to put around your precious head and skull and brain. A lot of folks have received some head injuries. Yeah, any type of hard helmet, but now you mentioned the hard hat, the bump caps. Problem with that, you need something that you can strap on, like a bike helmet, like a football helmet like a batting helmet. And one of the reasons is that people have been thrown from their safe spot. Oh, yes, where they've been they've been picked up and delivered. Picked up and, and thrown <laughs> right. yards or many yards. And that bump cap, that hard hat, that OSHA acceptable, you know, bump cap is not going yeah. to stay on okay. at um, that point. So something that will strap on yeah. and a bike helmet is a great thing. Okay. So I'm going to retract the hard hat thing because right. you're right. That's just to wear in a construction zone type thing. But yeah, hard helmet, a bike helmet or a football helmet, if you've got one that fits your head mm-hmm. and one for every head in your household, you know, right on down to, you know, the little bittiest ones. Absolutely. And you might even have a couple of extra for any guests that might be at your house. Well, you just never know. And something else that I've added, since we're talking about what to put in your safe zone, if you've got the time to drag a baby crib mattress or a twin bed mattress, something that you can handle. A lot of times people only have an interior bathroom and a bathtub to get into, and it may be near a window. And a good safety tip there is to put sofa cushions or some sort of mattress over you. So and if that you don't have it. a room to get in, and I've been in houses and actually lived in a house that we didn't have a separate room to be able to get into, but you could get on the floor between the wall and the bed and pull the mattress over you. Yes, absolutely. That certainly will at least offer you some shielding mm-hmm. from anything that's flying around in there. Now, we've talked about our cats when, when we were headed into our shelter, mm-hmm. into our safe room. And we had the two of us and two cats in there. We didn't just throw the cats in the closet. No, we actually have a 
what I call top-loading kennel cab for our cats. And we especially have that style because it's much easier to get a cat dropped through the top of a top-loading kennel cab than it is to go through the side. And especially so, when yeah. we're talking a 17-pound cat. And we've got two of them. So yes. we squeezed our two fellows into the kennel cab just to keep them located. We could easily pick up the kennel cab and carry it through the house with us. We put it in that closet where we were. I put in some treat foods just to kind of keep them distracted because they knew something odd was taking place. You know, animals yeah, they are were not all, dumb. They already had some unusual behavior going on there. They, they were. I, I think animals can sense a storm. But the other thing, if they are in the carrier and you are hit by the tornado, then they don't wind up escaping. They don't. And if they even get picked up and dropped somewhere, they're in the safety of a kennel mm-hmm. cab where they're less far less likely to become harmed. So, you know, put your pets in some sort of a carrier, kennel cab, a crate, if possible. You've got to give some thought to that plan. Now, some people live with six or eight or ten great big dogs, and they may not have the room to be able to do that. You, you're you going to have to think through some things and figure mm-hmm. something out. And it's all personal, and it what works for you. Now, mm-hmm. here's something to keep in mind. It's good to have one of these little portable air horns. You mean like whistle. those annoying horns like people do at the football games? Yeah, and those that you sneak up behind somebody and hit it. One of those? Yeah. One of those. Yeah. And the reason you want that, and I like the air horn better than the whistle, mm-hmm. is because if you are compromised, if your breathing is compromised in some way, either from injury or you have COPD or you happen to have pneumonia at that particular point in time and you can't yell out, a rescuer, yeah. exactly. First so, responder. Or blow a whistle. You may not have the wind to be able to blow a whistle True. very long. True. But if you hear someone, you know, yelling, trying to locate survivors, and you're not able to get out of there, you can use that air horn to get their attention. That's very smart. And that so really is. It's just a way to attract attention. But now it's like using a flare gun to signal an airliner at 30,000 feet. Don't just start blowing it until you start hearing somebody. Right. You've got to be judicious with your use of your resources. You might put a few blasts out every now and then Mm -hmm. and then really get on it when when you hear someone listening for you. Exactly. So don't just start blowing it right then, right after the tornado goes through. Because if there's nobody near you to be able to hear that, then it's a lost cause for that. Here's something else to keep in mind is when you know that it's time for you to get into your safe space, make sure you have hard-soled, comfortable, and proper shoes. Mm -hmm. Think about this. If you have to walk through your home and there's debris, nails, glass, shards, liquids, what have you, spewing and strewn all over the place, you're not going to want to walk through that in your bare feet or socks or your bedroom slippers. You're going to want to put on some sturdy work style, very tough shoes, your your toughest sneakers, or if you've got Timberland style work boots or something like that, they don't have to be fashionable. We don't care. If you're trying to get out of a storm damaged dwelling, you're going to make sure and you're going to thank yourself for putting on these proper shoes and to be 
and to be clothed as well. To There's be a lot of debris yeah. that comes mm-hmm. in the area of a tornado. A lot of splinters. Nails, Nails is what I'm thinking glass. about. There's a reason that firemen wear steel shanked boots. There is a reason. Because they're walking in destroyed buildings mm-hmm. and they're stepping on nails. Yes. And so you don't want to have to walk out of that debris barefooted. Mm-hmm. There's broken glass, there's nails, and there's all kinds of things that will stick you and hurt you. Also, keep in your safe space, put a first aid kit in there. If you are in need of some medical care, it could be hours before first responders can actually get to you. The biggest concerns would be any type of bleeding or any type of broken bones. So do think about, have some sort of a plan for some moderate, mild to moderate first aid to the best of your ability. You've got to be able to take action on that, particularly bleeding you've got to stop some bleeding and you'll know, you know, with pressure and with bandaging and that sort of thing. And if it's a broken bone, try not to be moving someone if their bones are broken and try to make them as comfortable, but move them as little as possible. Right. And one of the reasons it may take so long for first responders to get there is they're probably going to have to cut their way in. Right. They've got, there'll be trees down, lines down. They have to be cleared by the utility companies before they well, can even go through. Your fire departments, a lot of them, road crews, whatever, they'll cut away in, but it takes a while. And the wider mm-hmm. that impact area is, the more trees that they have to get through to be able to get to you. So have the, think through that first aid kit and have some of that on hand. Also, keep stores of extra eyeglasses, uh, contact lenses, and medications. Put them in some sort of a safe container so that you'll have extras. Mm -hmm. Invariably, if you get struck, you may find that if you've only got one pair of eyeglasses and you may not have them on, and you find out later that they're gone missing, well, there you go. So have some extras. This is even a good place to keep the old prescription, your Uh, last pair. That's better than nothing. Better than nothing, that's for sure. So keep that in mind as well. And if you have the space, store some snacks and some food and some water. Right, and if you've got young children that you're having to keep in your safe space, maybe for some time, you may just need to consider putting in some books and some games, some coloring books and things like that to keep them occupied because you don't really know how much time you might have to pass. And you want to keep the children calm and peaceful and perhaps distracted with some pleasant activity. Okay, just to recap here, uh, the things that we need to do is we need to have a plan Know where to go and know what to do. Have a safe place, something that you might be able to stock supplies and gear to keep you safe and to be rescued from. And heed the warnings. Remember, respect the polygon. Anything else you want to add? Well, we just want to thank the information that was provided also to us by James Spann. We've been listening to him and following him over the years. And there's also Brad Travis here in Huntsville mm-hmm. that's an outstanding meteorologist. And he is an amazing person. And we just want to thank him and all the crew at the WAFF. When they go wall to wall, we watch them and they keep us very informed. And we're thankful for the care and concern that they have for the community. So be be thankful. Reach out and thank these meteorologists because they have a thankless job. They have to come in. They have to work long hours all during the day and the night, and they don't get to go home. And, you know, that's kind of tough. So we're very grateful for that. We certainly appreciate every one of our meteorologists, whether it's National Weather Service, whether it's broadcast, or whether it's even corporate. 
and there are a lot of corporate meteorologists that, and research meteorologists as well. Uh, they're learning something every day. We do appreciate them, and we really appreciate you being here with us today, and we appreciate Jim Curtis Knive sponsoring this episode, and we'll see you next time. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast today. Hopefully you've learned something, picked up a tip, or something we said may have triggered a thought that'll help you in your prepping journey. If you haven't already, go ahead and click that subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode, and share it with your friends and family. And remember, stuff happens. Stay prepared.